All right, welcome everyone. Homestead, we're glad you're with us today. We are wrapping up a series we've been doing three weeks on the topic of give. The series title has been Give. We've been talking about how to be generous people, how to be good stewards of our finances, and maybe, just maybe, if you're a first-time visitor or maybe you invited a friend. Um, I remember when I was a kid growing up, I would have this tendency or this desire to invite my friends to church, but then when they would say yes, I would think, oh man, don't let them say anything weird at church tonight. You know, when you invite a friend and you've got a friend coming instantly, you're like, oh man. So maybe you thought this morning, oh, I hope they don't talk about money today. Or maybe you're a first-time visitor and the reason you've stayed away from church for so long is you thought, the church is always asking for my money. Well, you picked a good week to come for your first, first time today. But really, this has been way more than about money. And I've said this every week. This is not about the church wants your money. This is about how we can be good stewards of the resources that God has given us, and how in every area of our life we can put God first, including our finances, and in every area we can stop this mentality of going through life thinking, how much can I acquire for myself? What can I get out of this? And learn to think as Christ would think, what can I give? What more can I give, not just in finances, but in time? What more can I give relationally? What more can I give in my family, in my community, in my workplace? So that's what we have been talking about. We are in week three. So the first week, if you are just joining us, the first week we talked about this. It's all about the heart. How inherently, as humans, we are born selfish. And we don't need to look too much further than our children when they are always with a mine, this is mine, gimme, gimme, gimme mentality. We are born thinking that way. And how God instituted this idea of giving in order to root that selfishness out of us. In order to have hearts that are more like his. Hearts that are more Christ-like in giving in every area of our life. And then last week, we talked kind of specifically about the pattern of giving that God sets up in the Scripture. This idea, we called it the principle of the first. When we put God first in our life, when God is first in our life, then everything else comes into order. And when God is not first in our life, then everything else is out of order. We need to put him first. And God set this uh, practice in place in the Old Testament, he instituted this, this idea of giving your tithe, which we talked about last week, is 10% of your income. You give that back to God. It is his, and we return it to God. We talked about this idea of bringing it, the first fruits, the first of the harvest would be brought to the temple. This idea of tithing, giving the first, giving the first fruits of what we have to his work and to his kingdom. So I wanted to, as we start today, this final this final uh, week in this series, I wanted to just talk a little bit more about that idea of tithing and first fruits because there's a lot of discussion, disagreement. If you're around churches, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, I, I don't believe in this part of it or I believe this or this or this. So I wanted to talk about a couple of those things before we move on and wrap up this series today um, because there is a lot, if you've been around church, there is a lot of discussion and disagreement when it comes to tithing, when it comes to giving God our finances. And the first is this. There's this idea, you may have heard of this as kind of like the prosperity gospel. This idea that if we give to God, then what happens is he gives us back more. Like it's like a, like a heavenly kind of slot machine that's glitching out and just keeps paying out. The more we put in, the more God gives back to us. And it's this idea of if we have the faith that uh, we will see God bless us financially. If we give God something, he's going to bless us more financially. And, I've, and first of all, I believe God blesses obedience. I believe God blesses 
steps of faith and sacrifice. I don't believe that it's always going to be just piles of money appearing at our bedside every morning. I don't believe that's how it works. And the problem with that thinking, that problem with that, uh, maybe you've seen people on TV, a, a TV evangelist, or seen people in the news because they misuse this idea of God prospering us financially, is we get into that mode of, well, I can see it just being manipulated. I've seen it manipulated where, well, if you give in the offering, if you're expecting God to do a miracle, then you've got to sow a seed of faith and give more in the offering, and then you can expect a miracle. Or you need to give, if you're, if you're hurting financially, just give more to God, and he's going to pay all your bills for you. Now, again, this is a fine line because God does bless that. But the problem I have with this is I've, seen, I've been in environments where people are, um, giving, and it seems to be the people who are vulnerable financially, who give financially, and then when, when they don't get what they were expecting, then all of a sudden they start questioning God. Well, what do you mean, God? I, you were supposed to pay me back tenfold for the money I gave to you, or I didn't, you didn't move in the way I expected you to do, and instantly they start questioning God, or worse yet, they start questioning their faith, like, oh, I must have made you mad, God, because that's why you didn't do what, it, what, what I thought you were going to do or what that preacher said you were going to do. And so often it gets into the terms of, well, if you just had more faith, then God would come through for you in this way. And if you just had more faith, you would be rich in, in finances. And those things, it just gets manipulated. It just does so much damage. Um, I wanted to tell you that just because, again, it's about our heart. God blesses obedience and God responds to our steps of faith. But if we are giving to God, not just in money, but in any area, expecting to receive more, well, then we're just giving out of a selfish heart again because we're wanting to get more back. But instead of giving in order to get more back for ourselves, I want us to shift that mentality, shift our heart, because we give to God because he's already given us so much. He's already blessed us, and that's why we give to God. The second thing you would hear... Um, sorry, we're kind of, this feels like kind of a lecture <laughs> this morning. I promise it'll, well, I'll tell some jokes a little later on. But the, the second thing you'll hear is, okay, well, I tithe, but does it have to be to my local church? Some people would say, well, I give 10% of my income, but I give some to my church. And then there's some missionaries that I support. And then there's this other organization that I give some money to. Does it have to be to your local church? Well, if you read in the Old Testament and reread some of these things last week, much of the time that God said, bring a tithe, bring a tithe of your harvest. So if you were a farmer, you would bring a tenth of your harvest and give it to God. You'd bring it to the temple. Well, a lot of times this was because there were certain feasts and religious feasts. And there would be, you know, three times a year you're going to celebrate this feast. And once a year you're going to celebrate this feast. And they would need food in the temple to provide these feasts. And so that's why God would say, bring food to the temple so that we have food for all these festivals and feasts. It's kind of like a big religious Old Testament potluck dinner. Have you ever been to a potluck dinner where we say, we're throwing a party Everybody bring, and so everyone brings their best sacrifice of jello salads or, you know, prime rib or, you know, the nice, and you can always tell which food that God accepted because they were the ones that were always eaten, right? You know, I remember potluck dinner, there was always, as a kid growing up in church, there was always a family that would bring like that bean salad, and it would always be left over at the end because I would look at that and I'm like, I want nothing to do with that. And clearly that was God's way of saying, this is not an acceptable sacrifice to me. <laughs> Bean salad is not what we're looking for here. Uh, in Malachi, we read those verses last week. Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse. 
And again, this was the idea of bring the first of the harvest into the storehouse because for a couple of reasons, those who are poor and in need, we will have food to give to them. And if we ever get to a point where there's a drought or a famine or something, we will have reserves left over. So it was almost, again, like a food program for the poor. But then there was also times in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 18 is an example in verse 21, where God instructs the people to bring their tithe to the temple, to the tabernacle, because that would support the people who were working in the temple, in the tabernacle. That would support the work of the Lord. The Levites were the ones who were, you know, we would say they were the priests. They were the ones who gave their lives to work in the work of the Lord, the temple, and the, and the tabernacle. And this was their way of providing for them and supporting them was to bring their tithe to the tabernacle. And there was several times where God spoke very sternly to the Levites themselves because they were misusing and misallocating and misspending the people's tithes. They were not managing that well, and that should be a word of warning to myself and everyone in church leadership that we are to, that we are to be good stewards of God's money. But this seems to be a model that God set up in the Old Testament to support the work of the Lord, bring your resources, bring a tithe of your resources to the temple to support the work of the Lord. That's kind of how the model is set up. And that's really what we as Homestead Church, we are self-supporting. We are self-supported by your gifts and your tithes. And so we want to collect the resources of the church so that uh, we can have ministry go forth. Not just kids ministry and church ministry and donuts and coffee, but outreach events and things that we want to do in the community. These are all things that are funded by your gifts and your, your tithes. Um, so we also recognize that today there's all sorts of other outside ministries that are doing God's work, missionaries and other great community outreaches. We're going to have a group that meets here after our service today called The Table, and they are going to be serving a meal to those in our community who are in need. Well, there's all sorts of these other things. So I'm, you know what? I don't have a definitive answer for this. If you want to support Homestead Church, we would love for you to do that. If you want to, if other ministries you want to support that are doing kingdom work, that's great. Support them as well. But here's the one thing I'm going to say about that is, what's your heart like? What is your mentality of that? If you're thinking, well, the maximum I'm ever going to give God is 10%, so therefore the church is going to get some, and I have this friend who's a missionary, so I'm going to divvy it up as evenly as I can because I'm not giving a nickel more than 10%. Well, then that's a heart thing. That's a heart thing. If your mentality, and I think our, all, our mentality should shift into, God, I want to support the local church. And I have these other areas that I want to support. We should be thinking, I want to give more. I want to give more. I want to support more. Because we recognize God is going to provide for us. We are going to bless others, and God is going to provide for us. So again, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. So I know I didn't give a definitive answer to that question. But just pray. I believe that God's going to speak to you. Just pray, God, I want to be a good steward of your resources. And God's going to guide you. God's going to... God's going to guide you, especially as we have our heart that turns to be a generous heart. And finally, I know that some people say, well, tithing is in the Old Testament. Tithing is part of the law in addition to animal sacrifices and taking anybody out who was disobedient and stoning them to death and all these other rules and regulations, which we would say we're under grace in the New Testament. All those Old Testament rules don't apply to us anymore. So why would we even still tithe? Isn't that just an Old Testament thing? And I know I've heard that before in other churches that I've been a part of, and people say, well, we don't, even, we don't tithe because that was Old Testament. That was part of the rules and the law. 
Um, Jesus referred to tithing, I think, just one time in the New Testament, and that was in Matthew 23, 23. And we have that, those words. We're going to put them up on the screen. Can we throw that scripture up, Matthew 23, 23? This is Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth or a tithe of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. I think I said that right. And then, But you have neglected the more important matters of the law justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now get this. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So those are interesting words. Jesus is talking to these Pharisees. Again, the Pharisees are the religious people that follow all the rules. And yet, even though they were following all the rules, it says they were tithing everything. They were even tithing a tenth of their spices and everything in their house. Everything in their household, they would give a tenth to God. But yet, they were treating people, those who were in need, the widows and the orphans, with total disregard, taking advantage of them. So Jesus comes and says, this is not just checking the box, following the rules. Sure, you're obeying all the rules and you're tithing. And and he says, keep doing that. He didn't say, stop tithing, you don't need to do that anymore. He said, keep doing that, but don't let that be just about checking the box and have your heart not changed for those who are in need. Be generous people throughout your life. Jesus is saying, keep doing those things. Keep doing those things, but have a heart that trusts God, a heart that is generous to others. This is what Jesus is saying. Live a life that is full of joy and generosity and obedience. That's what we're all shooting for here. So I know... The further we get down the road of, well, does it have to be this and 10% of the gross or the net, or does it have to go here, or is it Old Testament or New? The more we get down that road, the more we lose heart of what Jesus wants us to have. Be generous people. Trust God that is going to provide for you, right? Trust that God's going to provide for you. Get rid of that grip of money in our lives where it just is acquiring and nervous about it and keeping things for ourselves and just be stressed out about money and thinking about, oh, what more can I get? What more can I get? Instead, have a heart for the things of God. Be generous and just say, what more can I give in every area of our life? Amen? So we don't give because God is going to give us more back. And we don't give out of obligation, checking the box, without having our heart changed. We give because God has already given so much for you, so much for me. And that is why we give. We give out of a generous heart that says, God, I put you first. I know you're going to provide for me. You have already provided for me. And I will be joyfully generous in every area of my life. All right, so today, in the the few minutes we have left... Now, I know the worst thing a preacher can do is kind of preach a sermon and then say, and now we're going to get to the sermon, all right? (laughs) I experienced that. The the pastor would say, and now for today's sermon, I'm like, well, what have you been talking about for the last 20 minutes? What was that? We're watching the clock here today. Today, I want to just wrap it up by just saying, okay, so we want to be generous people. How can we live generously? How can we have a heart that is generous? This is in every area of our life. I'm going to read these verses, and we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 through 19. 1 Timothy, it's a very pretty short book, kind of near the end of the New Testament. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 through 19 says this. And we have the words on the screen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. 
verse 18. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. There is so much in those verses. I love those verses. I love that last phrase. So they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And we're going to look into that a little bit. But as we start that, you might look at that and say, okay, the first, the first line there is command those who are rich in this present world. So the writer of this, Paul, is talking. He's instructing his apprentice, Timothy, to command these new believers to teach them in how to manage their finances. And he's saying, command those who are rich in this present world. And you're thinking, well... That's not me. He's not talking to me. I'm not rich. I mean, how many of us in here really think, okay, yeah, I'm rich. He's seriously talking to me. We would say, well, that's not me. He's talking to the rich. So first of all, we have to define who are the rich people. Now, typically, um, we don't think that we're rich because we don't feel rich. I'm talking like money-wise, right? We don't feel rich money-wise. But, and everyone typically has the same definition for rich people. Rich people are people with nicer stuff than what we've got, right? Anyone who's got a nicer car or a nicer house, well, they're the rich people. Anyone who's just a, that next step up on the ladder of wealth are the rich people. But I'm going to give you a couple of definitions for those who are rich. All right? You ready for this? If you have $2,200, if you can scrounge up $2,200... In everything you own, if you sold everything you own and you could pool together $2,200, you would be in the top half of the world's wealthiest people. You would be in the top 50% of the world's wealthiest, $2,200, okay? Among all income earners, if you earn income, if you made $1,500 last year, you are in the top 20% of the world's wealthiest income earners. You're in the top 20%. If you earned $25,000 last year, you're in the top 10% of income earners in the world. So right there, we're like, wow, top 10%, those must be the rich people, right? A family of four earning $75,000 per year, which would not be uncommon in, in Dakota County in this part of the world. A family of four earning $75,000 per year is in the top 5% of richest people in the world. So if that's you, you are in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. If you have any money saved, if you have clothes in your closet, two cars in any condition, and live in your own home, you are in the top 5% of the world's wealthy. Now, most of us fall into the trap of thinking, well... I'm here in this level of wealth. If I could just get to there, and we have this idea in our mind, if I could just get to there, then I would be wealthy. Then I would be peaceful. Then I would be secure. And we fall into that trap of thinking, if I could just get this much money, then I would be generous. Then I'd have all sorts of money left over to be generous. Well, I think if we looked at where we are now, the number that we're at now is probably the number that 10 years ago we said, ooh, if I could just get there, then I'd be generous, right? If I could just get there. It's a trap. We always fall into that trap of thinking, oh, if I could just get more, if I could just get a little bit more, then I would be wealthy. So step number one in being a generous person is this. Realize this. We're already rich, okay? We're already rich. Those stats, we are already blessed. We, are all, we already have means. We already have resources, so let's shift our thinking away from if I only had more. Again, I fall into it all the time. Ooh, if I could just get that or this or this or this, then this would happen. No, we already have what we need to be generous. We have to get away from that 
acquiring more mentality, shift our perspective, and begin to be grateful for what we have. To begin to be good stewards of what we have because we have so much. And we live in this world. It's not just us. It's not just people in this room. We are bombarded with that message, aren't we? Just think about your cell phone. If you have an iPhone, just think about an iPhone. Every, like, year, they come out with a brand new iPhone. This one is a, I don't even know what they're at now, a 7S or an 8. Are 8? They're out, they're out with the 8? I'm still slumming it in a 6. Man, if I could only have an eight, then I'd be generous. But you, you get that whole thing. Like, after a year, you see this new thing, and they come up with this brand-new iPhone, and you're like, i got to get that because now the headphone jack is down here, or they don't even have a headphone jack. Now, instead of swiping across to get to my apps, I swipe down, and we're just like, wow, I need, like, Tim Cook. Just take my money. Just take my money. I need one of those things. i got to have that. It's an addiction. It's something we, we keep this idea in front of us. If I could just have that, then I'd be happy. And you're probably there thinking, if I could just have this house or this car or this whatever, this wardrobe, this amount of resources, then I would be happy. It is a lie. And I think if we're all honest, we can recognize it's a lie. The more we have lived for acquiring more stuff, thinking that's going to make us happy, we realize it doesn't make us happy. What happens when you get the new car? Well, then I'm worried i got to pay more in insurance. And what if my kids scratch it? And what if I get in an accident? Or all these other things. And then it just adds, it seems to add more stress, doesn't it? It just seems to add more stress. We already have so much stuff. We already have too much stuff, really. I, Christy and I have this discussion about whether or not our house is full of stuff. And I would say, our house is pretty much full. And she says, well, we could put some stuff here. I mean, it's an ongoing discussion in our house. We have a lot of stuff. In our houses, I think we have too much stuff in our houses. So we need bigger houses, right? We need to have a bigger house. In 1973, the average size of a house was 1,600 square feet. That was average in 1973. Now the average house size is 2,600 square feet. And why? It's not like we're having that many more kids for the most part. It's because we got more stuff. We need more more room for our stuff. We have too much stuff to fit in this house. We need a bigger house. And then what happens? We got too much stuff to fit in our bigger house, so then we start putting stuff in the garage, right? How many of you have a two-car garage that will not fit two cars in it right now? That's me. I guess in the winter months, we, we move some stuff around so we can fit two cars in there. How many of you have a three-car garage that maybe you could squeeze one car into? Because we got so much stuff. We got too much stuff for our bigger house, so now we put it in our garage. So now we have to park our cars outside. And then the craziest thing is we got too much stuff for that. So what do we need? We need one of those self-storage units, right? I'm going to pay rent every month for another place so I can store my stuff. Because I can't bear to think about getting rid of it someday. Did you know, and I did, again, this is all like stats. I, did a, I had a fun time reading up stats on self-storage units. It is, a few years ago, it was the fastest growing segment of the commercial real estate industry. It was. It was the fastest growing thing because things, things were popping up everywhere. People were seeing it as a good investment because they saw it as a good investment because even during a recession, Even during the 2008 housing crash and real estate crash, the self-storage industry grew by 5%. Because people will be facing all sorts of financial difficulties, but they refuse to get rid of the little canister that they're paying rent for every month that houses all their extra junk, right? We can't think about getting rid of that stuff. If you want a fun 
you know, way to spend an afternoon, or at least an hour. Do a, do a Google search on craziest self-storage finds ever. Don't do it now. Don't do it now. You all have smartphones. Don't do it now. Wait till the end of the sermon. But there was one story of a guy who, they, you know, because people will stop paying rent, and so you've seen storage wars or whatever. They'll stop paying rent, and so then they sell off a storage. They auction it off to the highest bidder, but they don't show you what's in it. So you have to kind of gamble on what's in it. So there's always stories of the craziest things that these people purchase and then they open the door and they find inside these storage units. There was a story of one guy who opened up the storage unit that he had just purchased and there was a, in mint condition, 1966 Ford Mustang Shelby Fastback, which was like a collector's item. I think maybe a thousand were made. He recently sold it for $2 million. Right? Like, that's like, yes. Now you're all thinking, I'm going to go buy myself some storage units. Or people would find, like, a rare comic book collection in there. Um, and then I did, so that was kind of, like, the most valuable finds. And then I did a search for, like, the craziest finds. <laughs> and that was even, there was one that all it was was piles of dirty diapers. It was just piles of dirty diapers. That's all it was. Like, why are we hanging on to that? There was one, no joke, there was one they found a human leg. Like, they opened it up, and there was a human leg in there. Like, what? And for the most part, you know, most part, they open it up, and it's old, junky furniture, stuff that doesn't work, old papers and receipts from Ikea from 1984, where, where there's no way we're going to need this stuff, but stuff, junk mail, and, a, like, a collection of old Sports Illustrated magazines or whatever, just junk. For the most part, they open these up, and it's just people's junk. It's just people's junk. And, uh, and so I, I, I found that very interesting. But we have this idea that we can't get rid of our stuff. We are obsessed with stuff. Not only do we need a place to store our extra junk, we really never had money in the first place to buy all this extra junk. I gave that stat last week. We spend 130% on average of our income. So we earn money and then we overspend on average every month. Among households who carry credit card debt, so just among people who carry credit card debt from month to month, the average debt the average debt is $16,000. So not only are our big houses filled with stuff we don't use, we go into debt thinking that we're going to get more stuff, thinking this will make us happy, causing our big houses to feel small so we spend more money on a self-storage unit to house all our junk that we never use but we refuse to get rid of. This is crazy. This is crazy. This is as crazy as, well, crazier than the people who wait all day for a parking spot right by the door to the health club so they can go in and then walk on the treadmill for an hour. Like, why don't you park further away and walk to the door? You're just going in there to walk anyways. Or the people who buy, spend extra money on riding lawnmowers and gym memberships at the same time. I'm just like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But this is crazier than that. This is going into debt, acquiring stuff that we refuse to get rid of. And it's just this endless cycle thinking if we get more stuff, we're going to be happy. So step one is acknowledge we're already rich. And step two of being a generous person is this. Learn to be content. Be content with what you have. Stop playing the comparison game with other people. Stop playing the comparison game if I could just get there or get what they have or live in that neighborhood. Be content with what you have. There was an, an interesting article in a Time magazine that I read a couple weeks ago talked about the idea of we think success equals more, more. We think success equals more. And the writer of this article said um, how when we experience limits, whether that's financially or in time or whatever it is, 
that can be a blessing because it forces contentment. It forces innovation. When we work within a budget, when we work within limits, we have limited time and resource. We get more focused. We get more creative. It was a whole article talking about the benefits of working within limits. Not thinking in terms of, I need more, I need more, I need more. But what do we have and working within that? And certainly we could see that with our kids. Compare like the kid Christmas morning who's just got every toy and like an hour later they're like, I'm bored. You know, I'm tired of these toys. I've had these toys for six months. I'm bored. I need a new toy. Versus the kid who you give like a cardboard box and a dish towel to and they're like in the backyard like, yes, I'm like in a spaceship wonderland imagination world for like all day. I you know, I, I don't know if kids even do that anymore. I remember, I remember when we were kids, again, sorry, youth, grown-ups, it's so annoying when they're like when I was a kid, but we would be like outside. I remember sitting in a cardboard box like in imaginary world for hours and some of you are like, well, that explains a lot about you, but <laughs> we must recognize that more is not better. We got to get off this crazy ride of acquiring more stuff thinking it's going to make us happy. It is not. It is a lie. We have to be content in every situation that we are in. There's a verse in Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. Great verses. And we'll recognize part of this, but the whole, con the whole uh, context of this is really interesting. This is the Apostle Paul writing this letter from prison. Okay, so the Apostle Paul is in prison. He's been imprisoned for his faith. He's got nothing. Now, what has happened is the, the churches around have started to be concerned about him and express their concern and say, hey, what can we do for you? And this is the context that the Apostle Paul is writing in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 10. We got the words on the screen. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So he's saying, thanks for being concerned. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11. I am not saying this because I am in need. This is a guy in prison, okay? He's probably going to be executed for his faith. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then these words that we know so well. I can do all things through Christ, through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I, Paul is saying, I'm in prison, I might be executed, but I've learned to be content in every situation because I have put Christ first. He has put his hope he has put his source of joy in the one thing that will never fail. Jesus teaches that all the time. Why are you storing up for yourselves treasures on this earth? It's just going to rust away. Someone's going to break in and steal it. The, moth, the moths are going to come and eat it away. It's just all going to die when you die. Why would you not store up treasures in the one thing that will never fail? I've experienced this. My parents live in Zambia during the school year in southern Africa. They teach at a college there. We've been over a couple of times to see them. I need to go back again because it's always such a, um, I call it like a, a, a Western world cleanse for the soul. You know, you can go on a juice cleanse. When you go visit a country in Africa, it's just a cleanse of all the America, prosperity, materialism, all that stuff. Because you go, you're going to one of the poorest nations in the world one of the poorest nations in the world, and the people I meet are so alive in their faith. When they worship, they are just worshiping with their whole heart. When they sing a song like, Jesus, you are all that I need. I mean, they mean it because Jesus, in a lot of cases, is all that they have. They have such an appreciation for life. 
They have an appreciation for family and relationship. There is so much more joy evident in one of the poorest nations in the world because they have learned what Paul is writing. I've put my hope in Christ. I can do all things through him. It does not matter whether I am in need or whether I am prosperous because my hope is in Jesus Christ. I am content in that, in that Jesus is alive in me and that I will spend eternity with him. This is the secret to contentment. This is the secret to being generous in our life, is just realizing what we have is plenty. What we have is enough because we have God. And the third and final thing is this. To be a generous person, to be a generous person, you have to position yourself to be generous. So some of those things I mentioned, we have to stop living beyond our means. We have to stop adding to our credit card debt just so we can get more stuff. Position yourself to be generous. Get out of debt. If you're in debt, get out of debt so that you have the ability to be generous. I know of stories of people who felt called by God, and they didn't know why, but they said, God, I feel like God is telling me, get out of debt. So they spent like two years paying off debt, paying off bills, paying off these things, getting out of debt. They had no idea why. And then as soon as they were out of debt, God said, I am now calling you to go overseas to serve in the mission field. And they said, ah, it makes sense now. Now we are in a position where we are open to God using us. I have another friend who did that, and he got out of debt, and then as soon as he was out of debt, called him into a traveling ministry where he went around sharing his testimony, sharing his story, seeing people get saved, freed from addiction, because he, got, he was put in a position where he was able to do it. And they all said, we would have never been able to do this two years ago because we were saddled with so much debt and obligation financially. If you want to live as a generous person, begin to put yourself in a position where you can be generous. Get out of debt. Start living within your means. If we, ha- we offered a class in the fall, and we'll offer it again. Financial Peace University, what a great class to teach you practically how to manage your finances, how to get rid of some of this debt, how to live in a place where you can leverage your resources that you have for the kingdom of God and to bless others. Position yourself to be generous. And once you've done those things, once you get out of debt, once you learn to be content, once you realize that you're already rich, then just start being generous. I'm going to read those verses that we read in 1 Timothy at the start of this message. I'm going to read those again as we close, and we're just going to wrap it up with a couple thoughts there. We're going to put those words on the screen again. Verse 17, command those who are rich, that's you and me in this present world, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. I've learned to do all things through Christ. I've put him first. Everything else doesn't matter because he is first in my life. Don't put your faith in your ability to acquire wealth. That's what that is saying. And then it says this, who richly, God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I love that sentence. God is not against you and me having nice stuff. God is not against that. God is not against going on a vacation. There are times where I'm staying in a nice hotel or sitting in a nice cabin somewhere on the water doing devotions, whatever. I'm like, this is really nice. I enjoy this. I I would love to drive a really nice car one day. You know, that God is not against that. It's living for those things that God is against. But God provides everything for our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy our resources and to enjoy things. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Be generous, be willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. When we get this, when we get this idea of being generous, 
not being bound by our possessions, not falling into the trap of acquiring more and seeking after more. When we get this, we grab hold of the life that is truly life. We grab hold of abundant life. Think about that. What is true life? What fills you with the most joy? What fills you with the most joy? We have on this earth one life. We have one life, and we can spend it however we want. We can spend it living for yourself, acquiring as much stuff and as much wealth as you can. And if that's all you did, I promise at the end of your life, you're going to look back and you're going to say, so what? So what? I've got all this stuff. What does that do me? So what? But if you spend your life giving to others, not just money, but giving of yourself to others, pouring into others, helping to resource the local church, seeing a community like Farmington change through the local church, raising up young people in their faith, serving at your church, being a youth leader or a kids leader. If you spend your life in kingdom endeavors, seeing God use you, I mean, you'll have no idea what God could do through you right now if you said, God, I'll be used no matter what. He could start a, a ministry through you. He could use you to pastor a church, plant a church, to be a missionary, or to serve faithfully in the community you are, sharing your faith with people. At the end of your life, you're going to look back and you're going to say, this was the life that was truly life. Look at what God did through me as I was open to be a blessing to others, as I was open to be generous to other people, as I let go of, of that desire to just acquire more things for myself, and I simply said, what can I give to others? How can I serve others? How can I honor you? You'll look back and you'll say, this was the life that was truly life. Let's close in prayer today. God, we want to do that. We want to grab hold of your life for us. So I'm praying for all these people here, and I'm praying for myself that we would learn how to do that. We would learn how to be content in every situation, knowing that you are with us and providing for us, that we would position ourselves to be generous to others, and that we would simply just be open to you. We would live open-handed to you. God, it's all yours. Everything in my life is yours. Use it however you wish. And even as you're sitting there today, if that's your prayer, just with an open hand, just to God, say, God, I, I give you everything. Everything in my life is yours. Every resource, every relationship, every day, every gift that you've given me, it's all yours. It's all yours. Use it however you wish. Maybe you just want to, even as you're sitting there, just kind of open your hands to God as a sign. God, it's all yours. It's all yours. I want to live life open-handed to you, to other people. I want to live every day with the idea of how can I be a blessing to other people. I want to live every day that way because I know you're going to use that in so many amazing ways that we're going to look back and we're going to say, I can't even believe what God did through my little humble offering, my little humble life. Well, look what God did. Lord, we know that's what you do. You take humble offerings and you do miracles through it. You take humble people and you do amazing things. You do amazing miracles through them. So that's what we want. This is way more than what, what to do with our money. But, Lord, in every area of our life, we give it to you. And we want you to use it and bless it and multiply it and cause it to bear fruit so that at the end of our life we could look back and we say, this was the life that was truly life. We thank you for everything you have provided for us. May we continue to learn how to be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody at Homestead Church said, amen. Amen. Thank you.